Thank you. And we just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for spending this, uh, this time with us. And our desire is that you will make, uh, hopefully, Downey First Christian Church your church home and Jesus the Lord of your life, which is the most, the most important thing, all right? Also, I just want to remind, if this, you come to church every Sunday, um, feel free to invite your friends. Free, feel free to invite your, your neighbors, your family members, etc. cetera. Um, we are called Christ ambassadors, and so that's one of the ways that we can represent Christ uh, in the places where you're at. And if this uh, message is helpful to you and if these worship times are helpful to you, why not invite a friend, all right? Sound good? You guys good? Beautiful. So let's go to our scripture today, uh, John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We're going to go from verse uh, 1 uh, to verse 11. And we just read this before, but I want us to go in here and read it one more time so we can remember. It says, John chapter 8, this is, a, this is an amazing moment in the, in the life of Jesus. And uh, I want us to just listen to this and pause and really reflect on what's going on here. So it says, John chapter 8, verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again at the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a, a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When, he kept, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone of you who is without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. And so we're, we're on a series uh, called the Gospel Series. And we've been talking about the Gospel. And, and one of the things that, that I grew up uh, thinking was that the Gospel was something that you learned once. You accepted the gospel, you would write, you know, your name on a paper, you walk down the aisle, you do the sinner's prayer, and then the gospel was something that you sort of graduated from, and then now you had to move on to deeper things. And so what I want us to understand during this series is that the gospel isn't something that we believe. It's not one out of many other things that we believe, but the gospel is the thing that holds all of the other things that we believe together. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to the Corinthian church. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if it weren't for the gospel, right, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And so here's what the gospel is. The gospel is this. It is the good news. It is the good news concerning Christ as the only way to salvation. And that's the good news that brings us together here today. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus... Then, then there would be no reason for us to come here together today. And so um, um, Dave said something the other day. Uh, he's the chairman of our elders. He said, Josh really just has one message. It's the sufficiency of Jesus. And I'm like, I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, as I was saying that as preachers, uh, we, we're not called to preach on 10,000 different things, but we're actually called to preach on the same thing, 10,000 different ways because the gospel is the centerpiece 
here. And so we're, we've been going through this series, and we started off with a concept of, is it a ladder or is it a cross, right? And we we're talking about the story of Mary and Martha. You know, Mary was uh, at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was, you know, uh, doing a bunch of things for Jesus. But Mary had chosen the one thing that would be, never be taken away from her. Then the second week, we talked about this whole idea of who then can be saved, which was the question that the disciples asked Jesus when he told the rich young ruler, you really, there's no way that you in your own effort can save yourself. And then today we're going to talk about your identity. Today we're going to talk about, about your identity. Like who are you? Who am I in Christ? You guys remember we spent about a year meeting outside. You guys remember that? You guys miss those days? Yeah. Neither do I. Oh, one person. I kind of miss it, but not, not every Sunday. Like maybe that do a worship night outside or stuff like that. But every Sunday, you know, Tony, right, set up and tear down. He's like, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. You know, it was every, every Sunday. But anyway, we did that for about a year. And uh, I remember there was this new family that came. It was this... Uh, this gentleman with his two kids, and everyone was wearing masks outside, so I couldn't really recognize many people, and so I welcomed this family, and they started coming for about a year. And then all of a sudden, we reopen, and we're inside, and, and people aren't wearing masks anymore. And then I see, I see a family come in, and I'm like, hey, welcome to our church. Uh, he's like, I've been coming to this church for a year, dude. It was that guy that had the mask on before. I didn't recognize him. So the reason why I share that is because I think that, that sometimes in the same way that I couldn't recognize that guy because he had that mask on, you know, uh, I think we have trouble with our identity too in Christ. I think sometimes we don't understand who we are in Christ. Sometimes we don't understand what it is, what, like, what is our, like, what is our true identity? Like, are we forgiven or are we guilty? Are we good or are we bad? Are we saints or are we sinners? Are we accepted or are we rejected? Like, what is our identity? How do we see ourselves? How do you see yourself? You know, for me, growing up, I, it depended on the day. Like, sometimes I saw myself as a, as a pretty good person, you know, because I had a good day. You know, I didn't sin that much. You know, I was nice to the people around me. I prayed that morning. You know, I read my Bible. Like, that was a, a good day. But then I had other days that were bad. And it depended on whether or not I was, in my opinion, a good person that day. And so it was this fluctuating perspective on my life, and I thought that the way that I saw myself was the same way that God saw me. In other words, that, that, that God's perspective on me as a person would fluctuated uh, regarding how I would have, how I would act that day. I thought that God's approval, His love, His acceptance of me was variable. Like was it was intermittent, and it was on me to determine whether or not God accepted me or not. Like, he would look at me, and he's like, ah, that's not great, but okay, you know. And then another day was like, man, I'm so proud of you. And then other days were like, I can't even look at you. That was my perspective on, on God. And I think that, that as Christians, it's, it's very possible that we fall into this pattern in, in the sense that we fall into one of two categories. We fall into the category of legalism, or we fall into the category of licentiousness. Which means legalism is like, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to do all these things for the approval of God. Or on the other hand, it's licentiousness, which means I'm going to do whatever I want because Jesus paid for all my sins, and so why should I even try? But I, I was deceived, and maybe you, you've been deceived into in believing that, that the path of legal because here's the thing. The path of legalism, from my perspective, held the promise of making me righteous. 
But the reality is that it ended up not making me righteous. It ended up making me a hypocrite. Because at, some, at one point, I would run out of gas, and now I would have to start faking it. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't go the distance. But on the other hand, there was this other path of licentiousness, which held the promise of satisfying me, but at the end of the day, left me emptier than ever. So I think as Christians, sometimes we're, we're sort of navigating between the two ideas. Like, how am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to be a legalist, or am I supposed to be licentious? I grew up believing that a life of licentiousness was much worse than, a, than the, the life of legalism. But what I discovered is that they're both just as bad because they're both prisons. You know, I, uh, there's this episode in The Simpsons that I love. Was it this episode or was it the movie? I can't remember. But there's this moment when the world's about to end. You guys remember this? The world is ending. I think it was the movie. The world is ending. The end of the world. And so there are these two... There's a bar, and then there's a church, and then everyone's freaking out, right? And so the ones from the bar run to the church, and the ones from the church run to the bar. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? So it's either one or the other. You know, you just flip-flop. And I think the same can be true for us. Like, we're, we're, we live in one of these two extremes. Am I going to, to focus on my behavior, or am I, am I just going to do whatever I want? And the truth is that they're both prisons. There's a story I've, I've told before is the story of a, of a man who's doing life in prison and the prison warden comes and says, hey, now you're free. Come with me. You know, he thought he was being free, but what he thought was his freedom was actually the transfer from one prison to another. You see, as Christians, sometimes, you know, maybe you weren't a Christian before and, and you were living your life however you wanted to live it. And somebody came up to you and said, hey, there's going to be freedom in Christ. You've got to follow Christ. And then all of a sudden, you're free from your life of licentiousness. And then you walk into a church context, and before you know it, you're back into the prison of legalism. Or maybe you've been in church for, forever, you know, and you're tired of legalism. And you're like, I'm going to be free from all this legalism. I need freedom. So you go into a life of licentiousness. I'm going to live however I want. But then you're living a life of licentiousness, and you realize that that, too, is a prison. So which one is it? Is it do whatever you want or focus on your behavior? That's the point I want to I bring up today. Because this tension between legalism and licentiousness was exactly what Jesus was walking into in this scene with this woman who was caught in adultery. So I want I to ask you this question. I want you to ask yourself this question. Which one is it? So John chapter 8, I'm going to go through this story again. So in John chapter 8, Jesus, like the, the verse right before, at the, end of, at the end of chapter 7, there was this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. There was, there was kind of like a, an argument. And then it says that the, that the Pharisees, they, they went home, which I think they were kind of bugged. And they were like, gotta, we got to figure out something because we got to get back to Jesus because he kind of one-upped one, us. And then Jesus says right here, it says, John Verse 1, which is really interesting. This is, don't miss this. Everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So the Pharisees went to plot whatever they're gonna, they were going to plot, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, which was the space where Jesus, do you guys remember this? It's the, it's the Gethsemane scene right there. We see it right there. It, it's Jesus with God having a, having a prayer. This right here is a different moment, but he, was prob he probably went to pray. And sometimes... That's what we need to do. Sometimes we just need to pray. 
Like, stop scheming. Like, oh, I'm gonna, how am I going to get back? Jesus goes and he prays as the Pharisees are going and trying to prepare what they're going to say. Um, verse 2 says, at dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. So that question is, okay, this is like round two. Like, what's going to happen now? Who's going to win? Okay. Um, and it says this, he sat down to teach them. And it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, right? So, so I would say that perhaps they were all upset from the day before. They, they wanted to win the argument no matter what, okay? So they bring this woman to Jesus as he was teaching. Like, can you imagine? I'm preaching and all of a sudden they bring this woman here. It's like, hey, what do we do with her? It's like this weird, re really weird, strange moment. Like, what do you do in a situation like that? And it was a setup, right? It was a setup for Jesus. Um, and plus the woman was by herself. You know, like, where's the other guy? Like, last time I checked, it takes at least two people to commit adultery, right? But she was there alone. It was a setup. And so they made her stand before the group. Arguably, she must have been, she could have been completely naked. And so it was this embarrassing moment for this woman in front of all of these people. Verse 4 says, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses, um, commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Which is really interesting because what do you say? Like, like, there, like here's a sin placed before Jesus, right? Or arguably a sin placed before Jesus. So the question comes up, how are we going to approach the sin? How is Jesus going to approach your sin? Is it going to be legalism or is it going to be licentiousness? Because legalism says stone her. That's what the law says. Licentiousness says just go, right? Which, one's it? Which one is it going to be, Jesus? Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So the goal here was to accuse him, but they needed to trap him first, okay? And at first glance, this is really interesting, at first glance they did. Because think about this. At first glance, they did actually trap him. Because if he said, stone her, that meant, well, where's all the love and grace and forgiveness that you've been talking about this whole time, right? Um, and if he said, leave her alone, then now they had a basis to arrest him. It was checkmate from their perspective. Like, we finally got him. We finally got him. And it seemed like they did get him because he didn't answer anything. He quieted down. He shut his mouth. Imagine the tension in that moment. Like, we finally got him. Dude, we finally, like, like, like he has no answer. There's no answer coming from the mouth of Jesus. It was checkmate from their perspective. Here's a lesson. Never try to trap Jesus. Okay. Remember this, Jesus never cares about the external action. Remember, we talked about this before. He never cares about the external action. The thing, the one thing that, is, that, that he focuses on is the internal motivation. Remember we talked about that, about the big why behind the things that we do? You see, from their perspective, from the, from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they thought the question was simple and binary. It was either stone her or let her free. Stone her or don't stone her. But Jesus always goes deeper. You know, scholars, some scholars believe that, and we don't know this for sure, but that, that Jesus, what he was writing on the, on the ground with his finger, possibly was the sins of everyone that was standing there. 
Like he was just writing down all of the specific sins that each person had committed that were there. And I, and I love that theory, and here's why. Because what Jesus was doing at that moment was he was, he was leveling the playing field. He was saying, you guys think that, that you guys are better than this woman caught in adultery? Actually, no, you guys are the same. Because the ground, we've said this before, is level at the foot of the cross. That's, what's true. That's true for you too. That's true for me too. Um, verse 7 says this. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them. It's possible that when he straightened up and started talking to them, that all of a sudden all these sins had been revealed for everyone to see. And he says the famous words, let any one of you who is without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her. Um, so all, all of a sudden he just demolished their whole, their whole scheme, Right? So he brought the real question to the surface. And we've talked about this before. It's not about the external binary action. It wasn't stone her or, or don't stone her. The question the Pharisees had, the, the question that the Pharisees had was external. Their question is, what do we do? Do we stone her or do we not stone her? But Jesus brings it to the identity of the people attempting to stone her, which was this. What qualifies you or anyone else to stone this woman. Mic drop, right? Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So they had just dismantled, so Jesus had just dismantled their entire argument and gave, gave them the death blow. We talked about that last week. Try to picture their confusion. Try to picture that moment. They're like, like, I did not see that coming. Like, that's completely different. It's a different paradigm. We've never, it's always been about the external. Now he's, he's questioning our motives. It's going deep. Sometimes we miss this. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. I, I, when I used to read this, I used to just bypass that moment. Because um, in my mind, it was like they left because Jesus won. Like, he just, he just one-upped them. Like, they, he won the argument, the bad guys lost, point for Jesus, zero point for the Pharisees. That's how I would interpret it. But no, we have, to, we have to stop. Listen, think about this. No one threw any stones. Not one. This is, this is huge. There's, there's so much more going on here. Because think about it. If there was any of the Pharisees that actually believed that they were righteous enough to throw a stone, they would have, that was their moment to prove their point. But not one of them did it. And so by doing this, this was a beautiful redeeming moment. By doing this, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had just publicly admitted they weren't good enough. I mean, even one or, one or two would have been amazing. But it was all of them. Every single one of them. They were recognizing in that moment that they were more similar to the woman than they were willing to admit at first. This is a beautiful redemptive moment because they had just come to terms with the dead end of legalism. They realized that. Remember the rich young ruler who walked away after Jesus gave him the death blow of grace? He walks away. Pharisees, Teachers of the law left in the same way. 
It wasn't, it wasn't point for Jesus. I said this before. It wasn't point for Jesus and zero points for the Pharisees. This was a win-win for everybody in that moment. Because they were left with no other choice than to forever give up on their self-salvation projects. We don't know the end of their story either, just like the rich young ruler. But what we do know is that they hit a wall in understanding that their way of legalism was a dead end and it was a prison. And the same is true for you and me. You see, legalism is a prison. And when we pursue legalism, it will inevitably end up in hypocrisy because we will not be able to go the distance. So now what about the other? What about licentiousness now? Which brings us to the end of the story. Like, what's this path? And it brings us back to the woman, uh, verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Like Jesus knew, but where are they? Has no one condemned you? She looks at him. I, I try to picture her rea- reaction. It was, I don't even, no one, sir, she said. Now, but let, let's, let's think about this. This is why scripture is meant to be meditation literature. Like when you read a verse, like don't just read through it. Just let it, let it marinate. Read it again, read it again, and, and it'll start to, to come to life. No one, sir, listen. The, this is the logic. The logic would have been this. From Jesus' perspective, right? You've been a disobedient woman. This is, this is logic. You've been a disobedient woman. The law says you should be stoned to death. These guys don't qualify to stone you to death because clearly they're all sinful. However, I am the only one here who is free from sin. And the law of Moses says that you should be stoned. I'm the one qualified to do it, so I I have to go with the law with you. But then again, Jesus surprises us all. He says this, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, this is not just true for her, for her by the way. That's true for you and me. It, it was true for the, for the divided church in Rome as well. As Paul was writing this letter in Romans 8.1, he says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. It's a one and done. When Jesus dies on the cross, he forgives all of the sins. You are no longer condemned. I heard a pastor uh, Tolian Chavijan is his name, and he says this, we are strapped into a straitjacket of forgiveness. Isn't that a good line? Um, but pastor, you may say, what about what he says right after? He's talking about sin. He's talking about sin. He says this, go now and leave your life of sin. So I grew up believing that this was Jesus. At the end of that whole thing that happened, now stay away from me, you filthy sinner. Go clean up your life before we can have a conversation. That's what I thought it was. But that's impossible. That would be a contradiction with what Jesus had just told her. Neither do I condemn you. This is not a con... Here's the, here's the message. It, this, is not, this is not a condemnation. It is an invitation. This is not a condemnation for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It is not a condemnation for the woman caught in adultery. It is an invitation for the Pharisees. It is an invitation to leave your life of late, of legalism. You don't have to live like this anymore. And for the woman caught in adultery, it's an invitation to leave your life of licentiousness. You don't have to live like this anymore. 
You see, for both, it was not a question of action, the external, but of identity, which leads me to the main point of who are you? How do you see yourself? Because your identity will drive your action. Sometimes we try to, for our actions to drive our identity, but it's actually the opposite. What, what, when you know who you are, you will know what to do. It's just, that's just the way it works. You see, for the rich young ruler last week, the question was, was, who do you say I am? Remember? For the Pharisees today, it was, who do you think you are? Right? And for the woman caught in adultery, it is, this isn't who you are. And so this is the question that I want to present to you this morning. Some of you here do not, some of you here don't need to be told what to do. You've been hearing this your whole life. Most, most messages are about do this, stop doing this, try better, try harder. Some of you guys don't need to be told what to do. But you need to be reminded of who you are. And I, you may have different, different versions of who you think you are. But let me tell you this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you who God says that you are. He says that you are loved. John chapter 15. He says that you are accepted. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that you are welcomed into the family. Romans chapter 15. He says that you are approved in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says that you are valued. Matthew chapter 12. This is just reality. This is a one-way declaration over your life. And so my question to you this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe these things that God declares over your life? And here's what the, the Bible says about, the, about Christ. It says it in, in, in Romans chapter 13 and Ephesians chapter 4. It says that we need to clothe ourselves with Christ. It's really interesting. It's you gotta, you gotta take the reality of what Christ did on the cross for you and you need to grab that. You need to, you need to clothe yourself with it, which means to actually believe it. Now, what does this mean? Because I grew up believing that, that I have to earn the love of God. I have, to learn, I have to earn the acceptance of God. I have to earn the welcome into the family of God. I have to earn his approval. I have to earn my value for Christ. But clothing yourselves means that, that, you, that you're walking in the way that God created for you to walk. So I'm going to say a few things here real quick as we close. You are adopted into the family of God. And because of the price that Jesus paid, because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, you no longer have to live your life in order for, in a way, in a certain way so that Jesus will love you. But you can now live a life as someone who is completely loved by God. Because of what Christ did on the cross, you no longer have to live your life in order to be welcomed by Jesus. But you can now live your life as someone who has already been welcomed by Jesus. Because of what Christ did on the cross, you no longer have to, have to live your life in order to achieve God's approval. But you can now live your life as someone has, who has already been approved, valued, welcomed, accepted, 
and completely loved by God. There's nothing left to do. It's available right now. The invitation is believe the good news and walk into this reality.